Hey, good morning. Thanks for tuning in to Freedom Fellowship this morning with us. We are so glad uh, that you are here. I would love to start our time off in prayer. So if you would bow your heads with me and we will do that now. Father in heaven, uh, thank you. Thank you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you that we can come to you in spirit and in truth. It is our desire to seek your face today. I would ask of you, Father, to meet uh, with each and every person, Lord, that can hear my voice. God, we know that you love us. We know that you've given us precious promises, thousands of them. God, and one of those that we find in the uh, letter that James wrote, he said that if we would draw near to you, that you would draw near to us. And that's our desire this morning. We don't want to waste our time. We want you to do business. So here we are, and we ask that you'd have your way. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, first of all, guys, I wanted to give a shout out to my son, Phineas Aaron Churchill. He is turning 10 years today. Here he is still wearing diapers. Must be about eight years ago. Happy birthday, buddy. I love you. Little warrior priest. You're a good man. And this morning, as many of you guys know, we are doing a Q&A. And I've been wanting to say this my entire life. In the studio today, we have Pastor David Fierazzo. Hey, I like guys. to call him PDF. Uh, he is joining us today for our Q&A. I'm excited. Do you get to say that on a daily basis? What's that? People are in the studio with you. When they're in the studio, when yes. They're in. Isn't that awesome to have yeah. a person with you? Yep. Yeah, I'm yep. so glad to have you here today, brother. So we've had some of you guys send in some questions uh, over the last couple weeks, and we're going to cover um, all the questions that came in, Lord willing, because there were only a handful of them. Uh, so we're going to get started with that. And the first question, uh, here, David, if you would like to uh, read that for us. Yes, well, when will we start meeting together in person? Hey, I'm so <laughs> glad you asked. Next week, we're going to be hanging outside in the parking lot together. Uh, 9.30 a.m., weather permitting. So please check our website, come to freedom.com in the morning to make sure that we haven't canceled due to rain or something else. And if I'm wearing a mask, guys, it's because I love you, okay? Um, you're, you're, you're able to wear a mask or not to wear a mask. We're just going to gather together, and we are going to worship Jesus. We're going to get into his word. We're also going to have online service still. So please, uh, the time's going to change. Today it's 10 a.m. Next Sunday it's going to be 9.30 a.m. So we will get that up online beforehand so you can uh, subscribe to it or like it or whatever you need to do to say that you're interested in taking in service and we're hoping to continue to uh, have services up for uh, teaching through the book of revelation as we're going through that on sunday mornings so that is the plan for now um david are you excited for gathering together with some brothers and sisters Absolutely. Can't wait to see y'all in per person. I really, I really can't wait. I've been going crazy, stir crazy. I mean, it's nice to watch a couple different sermons and more teaching that we normally would on a Sunday, uh, but I've got my fill. I, I probably had enough in the first couple of weeks, so I want to see people. So I can't wait to see our family, man. <laughs> it's going to be good. So yes. yeah, bring a lawn chair with you. If you don't have a chair, we'll have extra chairs uh, next week, and we're going to be setting up. We'll try to sit at least 10 feet apart. We've got a big parking lot. Uh, it'll be good. But moving on, let's jump into our questions for this morning. And the first one is for you, David, here. I'm going to read Matthew 5, verse 39. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. So the question would be, is it right for a true believer to shoot and to kill someone who thinks or, or they think, uh, or they want to, uh, uh, sorry, <laughs> uh, cause harm or to someone else. Is it okay for us to protect our loved ones? So, David. 
What do you say to that? Well, first, I would start by saying um, the Bible gives no clear, all-encompassing statement on self-defense. This is a self-defense issue. I will also say a shout-out to Armand. Um, we had a conversation a couple weeks ago. You know, this was part of it, that when uh, police are out in public, they don't look at it as killing someone if they are in a place where their lives are threatened. They use the words, stop the threat, stop the threat, right? If they have to shoot, meaning self-defense, they stop the threat. Um, but some passages, I'm going to read from my notes because I don't want to make this to be longer than it is and more tedious for you guys. Um, you know, he said, uh, Matthew 539, uh, a lot of people take turn the other cheek out of context. Uh, Paul engaged in self-defense on occasion, by the way. Uh, he was about to be flogged by the Romans in Jerusalem, remember that? He quietly informed them saying, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. And they got alarmed, right? And so they pulled back and they decided to treat Paul differently. So he used his citizenship. But in Matthew 5.39 or 5.38, um, the context of Jesus' command is teaching against the idea of eye for an eye. So you're not doing it to get revenge. This is talking about self-defense, which I believe the Bible clearly justifies protecting yourself and your family. And also, one other thing, when Jesus commanded, turn the other cheek, that has to do more with our personal response to uh, if you're being slighted or um, criticized or offended. Um, uh, some situations call for self-defense, and the Bible is clear that you're not supposed to retaliate in kind, because Jesus purposely said, you know, that, you know, eye for an eye, I'm going to tell you this way, you know, because he was all about love and responding with compassion, not what the Old Testament really talked about, the eye for an eye. Do you have anything you'd like to add? Because those are the, the main notes I wanted to share. Yeah. Um, well, the, the verse that was shared with the question um, about turning the other cheek, we had been coursing out a few years back at our men's retreat, really enjoyed our time with them. But he was talking, you know, when we slap somebody on the cheek, how that would actually refer to an insult. It was the back it's an insult, of an a head. slap. It wasn't somebody yep. was coming to kill you. <laughs> so when we use that verse, <laughs> that's point. not a good verse to actually use for that context. But I think about the disciples. They carried swords, and they were with Jesus. Jesus yeah. would have corrected them if that was wrong. Yeah, he would send them out. I think it's in Luke 22 where they were sent out. Okay, they didn't have a sword in the things that Jesus told them to send out. But when they came back, Jesus was about to go to the cross. Mm -hmm. And in that, mm -hmm. he actually told them, sell your cloak. Okay, the thing yeah. that's going to keep you warm and take care of you and buy a sword. Yeah. So what is Jesus saying there? So when the question comes up, and I know this is a, a hot topic for a lot, of, a lot of churches when it comes to security and protecting. Yeah. Uh, my heart as a shepherd, man, if anyone's going to come in to do evil to God's people or even to my own family especially, I'm going to protect them. Stop the we threat. We see that in Scripture. Take care I, of the wolf. I personally don't see a biblical mandate saying not to. And I think we have different convictions as believers about it. And I think we just need to be purposed in our own heart and fully convinced when it comes to that subject. I've got one other thing to share. Some people will also say, well, what about Peter in the garden when he took out his sword in the Garden of Gethsemane and mm -hmm. sliced off uh, the ear of Malchus, the high priest's servant? And Jesus said, put your sword away. Those who, um, what did he say? Those who draw the sword will die by the sword. That's not saying never use the sword because in the passage that Pastor Landon quoted, uh, Luke twenty two thirty six. Jesus told his disciples, if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. So what was that about? Was that about self-defense? So the, it's, it would appear to be contradictory, but in Peter's case of taking out the sword, it was mm -hmm. similar that when Peter said, Lord, you will never go to the cross and die, Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Because in that case, when Peter was trying to stop the guys from arresting Jesus, the crowd, the mob from arresting Jesus by pulling out his sword, Jesus came to make it to the cross. So that was his purpose. So Peter was not obeying the will of God. He was doing his own thing in pulling the sword. Does that make sense? I know it does to you. 
Yeah. Does that make sense? Hopefully that's helpful <laughs> for you guys. Uh, let's move on to our next question here. You want to read that, David? Yes. Is atheism a religion? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> uh, I want to share with you guys, this comes out of Rutledge uh, Encyclopedia of Philosophy. Uh, William Rowe said this. Atheism is the position that affirms the non-existence of God. It proposes positive disbelief rather than mere suspicion or belief. So when we consider atheism, is it a religion? Absolutely. Um, we're going to talk about origins in a second, but I, I want to just consider with what the scriptures say uh, to this. Uh, and every time I think of atheism and the word of God, Psalm 14 is always the first one that pops up in my mind. And it says, uh, I'll just read the first couple of verses. It says, a fool is said in his heart, there is no God. So the scriptures would say that an atheist is a fool. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works and there is no, or there is none who does good. We know the scriptures are very clear and does teach us that there are none that does good. And that's why we need a savior. Okay. That's why God stepped in uh, to this world and became a perfect sacrifice so our sins could be forgiven because we're not good. God alone uh, is good. And when it comes to atheism, you have to have a lot of faith um, to say that there is no God. That is a belief system that would be a religion. Um, and I want to talk for a second about the reality of narrative when it comes to this question. Because we could lay out a lot of reasons why atheism is a religion but when we consider uh whether or not atheism is a religion um narrative the story is so important when it comes to what we believe and atheists they have a narrative and when we go back to origins especially um i think of the reality of what they say and nobody was there we don't know okay we know the truth as Christians because we know what the book says. And this book is supernatural, okay? We know that God has written it. He was the only one that was there. And he told us how he created all things. And it's very easy. It makes sense. We look outside at creation. I can look at Pastor David here. Here's a creation. Obviously, there was a creator. Somebody put this all together. The narrative for the atheist is that there was nothing that blew up. They have a story, and that's what they believe. So, yes, it is a religion. They might not say it is a religion, mm -hmm. but they have their own faith. And to be honest with you, you have to have a whole lot more faith as an atheist to believe the theories. Okay, they haven't proved anything that there is no God. We look around, there is evidence everywhere. So if you are an atheist, way to go. You have way more faith than I do because my faith, man, is logical, is reasonable. Um, yeah, you can prove it. You can't. So good for you. Isn't humanism religion. atheistic? <laughs> Very much so. It's yeah. Man is God. <laughs> by the way, a great book to get would be by Dr. Frank Turek and Norman Geisler. Yes. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. So much in that book, a great apologetic tool, phenomenal. I can't even, I'm having a hard time getting through it and I've had it for yeah. a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, and as you break up, bring up Norman Geisler, I think of uh, Ravi going home to be with the Lord uh, yes. this week. They were really good friends. And I look at both of those men. Uh, Norman went to the home with the Lord earlier this week or this year. Um, and I just think about the blessing. They're kind of like, uh, grandfathers of apologetics. That's how I look at these yeah. two men and yeah. stuff. And Ravi, I know you got a uh, hymn that you wanted to share yeah. just in light of him passing this week. This is so good. And this was part of my Freedom Project video this week. Um, uh, his daughter shared this two months prior to receiving his cancer diagnosis. Ravi shared part of a centuries-old hymn by a man named Richard Baxter who lived in the 1600s. And it was called, Lord, it belongs not to my care. 
And Ravi shared the last stanza of that hymn, and I think this is really good for eternal perspective for us. He said, or the hymn says, Then I shall end my sad complaints and weary sinful days and join the triumphant saints that sing my Savior's praise. My knowledge of that life is small. The, the eye of faith is dim, but tis enough that Christ knows all and I shall be with him. That's powerful. Wow. That's the kind of that's the kind of faith that inspires people, knowing that well to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So Ravi, so many others, another friend of ours died. Um, a friend of ours from Florida, um, his wife had cancer. She died in her early 40s. She gained Christ. So we look at it as oh, what a loss, and it is. But we do not grieve as those who have no hope. So th there's so many good things that come out of that. It inspires the faith of those who are still here living this uh, temporary uh, existence. You know? yeah. And it's short. It can be sh very, very short. Yeah. So if you do have a questions when it comes to defending the faith, I'd encourage you guys to pick up anything <clears throat> by Ravi uh, Zacharias. There's, he, what a legacy. I mean, the brother ran well. Yeah. Um, and I loved, he's spoken so many universities and different platforms through the years and just the way uh, he conducted himself. So gentle, so kind, correcting people in love, defending the truth with compassion. And I think we can just really learn from his example in that. And he, he raised up a team behind him. The ministry mm -hmm. is going to continue to go out and win souls for Jesus Christ. And yeah. Can I share one more scripture? Sure. This is along the same lines because um, when you said he finished well, it reminded me of someone, the Apostle Paul. Um, one of his last chapters that he wrote was to Timothy. And uh, 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 says this. Now Paul was getting ready to be executed for his faith in Christ. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Mm -hmm. The Apostle Paul, are you waiting for the return, the appearing of our Lord and Savior, our great God and Savior? Titus, Paul wrote to, or yeah, the letter of Titus, our great God and Savior, the blessed hope. Mm -hmm. So that's perspective right there. Finish well. Amen. That's what we're trying to do, <laughs> one day at a time, right? All right, on to the next question. Uh, is it true that the second, third, and fourth heaven are emptied? Oh, wow, okay. Um, well, I just, I only had one verse to go to for this because. I don't know where people come up with questions like this, but I guess there's certain things in the Bible that makes you wonder, and it's okay to wonder, but don't get lost in the speculation. Um, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 2 is, is where they get this. Um, Paul had a vision, right? And there are people that have had visions all throughout Scripture. You're talking about Daniel, right? The midweek Bible study. Um, it says this, and Paul's writing about himself, but he's humble enough to write about himself in the third person which is very interesting. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know, only God knows. So even Paul didn't know whether it was a vision or whether he was in his body or out of, had an out of body experience. So this idea about the second, third and fourth heavens, I think, in one translation or maybe others, it says paradise. It uses the word paradise, uh, caught up to paradise, which some understand as the third heaven, I believe. But people have claimed that they've um, heard angels, they've seen visions, they um, say all kinds of things. We don't know what's true because it's not in Scripture. If it's not in Scripture, let's not speculate. Let's only take what is there in the text and understand, first of all, why did Paul wait, was it, what was it, 14 years before he wrote or s said anything about this? So that's very interesting there. But one thing I put down in my notes, Paul is not saying that there are three heavens 
or even three levels of heaven. He's not saying that necessarily. Um, in many ancient cultures, people use the term heaven to describe realms. So three different realms maybe, which would be in our context, the sky, outer space, and then a spiritual heaven. So that's what we would look at. Paul was saying that God took him into the spiritual realm or that heaven, the realm beyond the physical universe. That is where God dwells. So let's not read into the text more than what is in there. Okay, that's my advice. So I can't really answer the question, is it true that the second, third, and fourth heavens are emptied? I don't know. Do you? <laughs> Maybe you have more insight on this than I do. Uh, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. I don't feel so bad. Because there's not a lot of places in Scripture where it talks about this idea. No, no. The Catholics add a lot when it comes to the different heavens and different levels, but it's completely unbiblical, extra-biblical sources, different things. Yeah. And it's one of those things we at Freedom Fellowship, the Word of God is authority, and there's so many things that are added that go against God's Word, and we just don't even want to go there. If anything... Uh, we know that Jesus said, I go to prepare a place and there are many rooms or mansions in heaven. Mm. Okay, that's where he is. We don't have yeah. to worry about yeah. room running out uh, as some different religions <laughs> yeah. uh, believe out there. Um, we just know it's going to be good. And the best part is we're going to be with him and yes, he's in, in his presence. And by the way, if Paul didn't know, how are we supposed to know? Exactly. Because he says, was I in the body, out of the body? I don't know. Only God knows. So that should give us some peace with that passage to move on. No more speculation. All right. Amen. Got next, one for you. Next question. Um, how can you know that you have really been born again? I'm so glad you asked, David. <laughs> how can you We're really told know? in John chapter 3 that we got to be born again in the Spirit of God to enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's one of those things, as you see up on the slide here, guys, it involves the heart and the mind. And I think one of the biggest things, there's a light bulb in the middle there, but I think when we come to illumination, okay, when our heart and our mind begin to see things in new ways, the Holy Spirit has come and really opened our eyes. There is new realities. There are new truths and i've been able to lead a lot of people to jesus christ through the years and that's one thing when somebody's born again the lights come on why didn't i see that why didn't i understand that before i now see i was blind but now i see i read the word of god and it's it's making sense for the first time in my life and i want to share with you guys from my favorite chapter in the bible romans chapter 8 Verse 15, how do I know I'm really born again? Well, one of the ways we know, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by no. whom we cry out, Abba, Father. When you are born again, you come into a relationship with God. Okay, He's now your heavenly Father. Your spirit will testify with His. It will cry out, Abba. Now again, we need to understand that it's not emotional thing. It is a belief. It is a faith. But there are things that should change in our lives. I want to throw up just another couple thoughts when it comes to being born again. I already mentioned the word of God becoming alive. Okay, you have a hunger. You now have a spiritual hunger. Before it was just physical. Whatever. I love pizza. I'm going to eat pizza all the time. When we become born again, man, spiritually, man's not going to live on bread alone, pizza alone, but every word that proceeds mm. from the mouth of God. You have that spiritual hunger. The word of God is now living. It's active. As Thessalonians tells us, it effectively works in those who believe. Colossians tells us to let the word of God richly dwell in us as believers. The word is awesome. Mm. And I also want to hit on the reality of our loves. Okay, when we are born again of the Spirit of God, those become reordered. You see, guys, when we go about this life, there are things that we used to before we came to faith in Christ. Those things dominated every aspect of our lives. We had certain loves. They were priorities. And everything we did, everything we thought, all played back into those things. But when you come to a saving faith in Christ Jesus, 
You gave your allegiance. You repented from all the stuff of this life, your sin, and you're now giving your allegiance to King Jesus. Everything gets reordered. Mm -hmm. He becomes your foremost treasure. He is number one. You are in love. That agape love that God has, man, it is shed abroad in our hearts when we are saved. In that love, man, he loves us and we want to love him back now. We've never known this type of agape love before and it is a beautiful thing. So there are. there's one more scripture I'd like to share since we're in Romans. Uh, in chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, born again. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth, confession is made on to salvation. So whoever calls on the name of the Lord, if you do that in faith, truly believe in your heart and are truly confessing Jesus as Lord, you're going to be saved. You're going to be born again. But that belief is going to be lived out. Okay, We believe in a lot of things. And if we're really believing in Christ, if we truly are born again, there's going to be fruit. There's going to be good fruit because we're going to be living out that belief, not just giving lip service. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I go to church. No, it is life. It is reality. Dave, I don't know if you have anything that you'd like to add to that. Yeah, I wanted to piggyback on the question and ask you about this because this came up in a conversation I had with someone in this week or last week, um, that idea of being born again. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, yeah. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, or he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here, the new has come. But that verse alone might give people young in the faith, the idea that once I'm born again, once I'm a new creation, I have a new nature and I'm, all my habits are going to change. Well, that doesn't happen naturally. And I, I wanted you to, to explain how you get from being converted, born again, new creation in Christ to overcoming yeah. the flesh, I well, guess. Well, Peter comes to mind. He talks about the newborn babes. They desire the pure yeah. milk of the word. Yeah. Okay, a lot of times just like, hey, I'm a new creation. I'm born again. I should be a mature super Christian. No, we grow. And the Bible talks a lot to that, how we are to grow, how we should be maturing. There is a sanctifying that takes place. Yeah. John 17, 17, sanctify them in truth. My word, word is, is truth. truth. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Romans, we were just in chapter 10 in verse 13 in that chapter or 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And it's something we continue to grow in. And that's why the church is really to be given to the teaching of God's word, yep. of doctrine. It's one of those things that is going to help us to grow in our faith, to mature into a believer that God wants us to be. And the one thing I really love, Pastor David, about growing in Christ, you know, I got three kids, mm -hmm. okay? Praise God, they're all out of diapers. <laughs> so, but it took time, okay? There was, you know, the newborn, the toddler, the growing up, just life. And they're at stages right now. They just finished school this week. They're now in new grades. There's just that progression. Yeah. Hmm. And it takes time. They had to do this whole last year of school to move on to the next grade. Yeah. What I love as a Christian, we can really grow as fast as we want. Of course, it hmm. is part of our diligence of seeking god's going to do yes. his part yeah. but we can really seek him i know some yeah. christians have been in the lord for years they've never read the bible you know i don't know like, how you up? do that i don't know how you do that uh, that's our lifeline that's how, that's how we grow that's our the food we need god's word yeah and, yeah, and there amazing. are seasons and that you know we're called to be discipled and make disciples we're called to be being poured out to yeah. serve. Mm. And there's just a lot that comes from doing the word of God. We get those experiences. We learn, we grow, but it's really on us how much we want to put ourselves out there. I don't know how many men through the years at our men's retreats, they never been to one. They finally got talked into going and they're just like, pastor, I don't know why I never came before. This is awesome. Mm. This is exactly what I've needed. I needed to hear these, you know, yeah. but are we willing to put ourselves out there to do the work. So I just want to encourage you guys in that. Grow. 
<laughs> we have that privilege. It's work and it's discipline, but Second Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Cool. Yeah. All right, on to our next question. This uh, is the one I've been looking forward to. Oh, great. What is the most pagan religion? I think that is a great question. The most pagan religion. Um, well, I, I don't want to just oversimplify this thing here and just say anybody that doesn't believe Jesus is the Christ, because um, we can go all over the place. If you're just talking about the word pagan meaning many gods, then either New Age or Hinduism might be the most pagan in that context, and then I could be done with my answer. But there's a couple other things. I really had to look this up. Um, well, we understand what paganism is. Uh, maybe pagan, heathen could be used interchangeably. But um, any religion where Jesus is not God and the Bible is not authoritative might fall under pagan. Also, I looked up under paganism, it can refer to polytheism or the worship of more than one God, such as ancient Rome. But a pagan is also considered one who, for the most part, has no religion, which is interesting, mm -hmm. right? And indulges in worldly delights and material possessions. So paganism, hedonism, hedonism, Hinduism, New Age. So you have a big mixture of what could be considered pagan. I don't know what the biggest one is. That, that was the question. What is the most pagan, um, who can sin the best? Who wins the award for the most sins, right? I don't know. But pagan was used in those days uh, to name those who practiced a religion other than Christianity. So in the early church days, that's what they considered uh, to be pagan. Um, also, other than Judaism or Islam, because Islam came around a little later on after that, about 500 years after, I think. So early Christians used the term pagan or paganism to refer to non-Christians who worship multiple deities. It, it's basically that simple. So I can't give a specific answer as far as which one is the worst or the most pagan. I'm sure. Do you have any thoughts on that? Because that's all I had for that. Mormons. The most pagan? They try so hard to be Christian. Follow me here for a second. Okay. They <laughs> want to be Christian so bad. Okay. They try to but sound they, like Christian. Yeah. Yeah. But what do they believe? They believe they're going to be a god one day of their own planet. Well, they're already a god now, they believe, right? They're well, they gods. believe that there were gods here, right. Adam and Eve. Right. He was one of the gods, right. and they're yeah. going to one day be a god of their own planet somewhere. So you talk about pagan because we can talk about multiple gods, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I even think about, you know, Buddhism and different beliefs there that there is no God. That's very pagan yeah. also, yeah. you know, but Mormons always come to mind too. It's just like, okay, you guys want to be Christian, but you deny Jesus being God. You've added to the word of God <laughs> and you all Take think time. you're going to be all gods. I mean, that's like the definition of pagan. Interesting. Anyways, yeah. just my yeah. thoughts. Yeah. So if you're Mormon, I love you. Please contact me. I'd love to grab coffee. <laughs> um, let's move on. I got another question for you, David. All right. uh, why do Catholics confess their sins to a priest rather than going directly to God? Okay, this is going to be a little more a lengthy of an answer, I think. And um, okay, um, authority. This comes down to authority. Go back to when Jesus died. The crucifixion was over. The rocks were split. The temple, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Thick, three-inch uh, material. 40, I think it was 30 feet tall, 40 feet tall, ripped from top to bottom. Man couldn't have done that. God did it. Why? Now man could go right directly into the presence of God without a mediator, without a priest. So the priesthood was done away with. Hebrews and other places. Jesus is considered our great high priest, capital letters, high priest. So the idea of a priest is not, in our opinion, in what we believe the Word of God says, teaches, not necessary any longer. The roles in Ephesians 4, pastor, uh, teacher, um, deacon, elder, they're in there, but priest is not. Jesus is our mediator, the only mediator between God and man, and his perfect sacrifice abolished the need of a formal priesthood. You can read about that in Hebrews 10, by the way. So 
Revelation 1 and Revelation 5 talks about a kingdom of priests, which we are the priests of our families, for example. The early church, they were influenced by paganism, right? They reestablished a priesthood that added a barrier between the ordinary believer and God. That's what the Catholic Church did. They, you develop a priesthood and give the authority to a man. Now you've got a barrier. Now Jesus is here. I'm trying to get there. Jesus is here. Uh, man is, is here. And how do we get to Jesus? We have to go through a man now to confess our sins? Well, let me just read one scripture I have for you. 1 John 1, 9 very simply says, If we confess our sins, he, who's he? Not the priest. He with a capital H is talking about Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, let's go back a couple of verses. It says in verse 7, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Nobody else can do that but Jesus. Uh, a couple other notes here that I have. Um, from what I looked up recently, it wasn't until the year 1215 that the fourth uh, Laterian Council, that all Christians in the Latin church were bound under mortal sin to go to confession once a year. That wasn't in the early church. You don't find that in the foundation of the apostles and the disciples. So the year 1215, confession. Third, penance is the idea here we're talking about. According to the Roman Catholic Church, this is a sacrament of reconciliation. And here's a quote. It reestablishes a right relationship between God and a wayward Catholic. It's so it's all about what a person does. You have to go to a priest to reestablish your relationship with God. So you're going to a man, a mediator who is imperfect and a sinner just like us. So according to the New St. Joseph Baltimore Catechism, which was 1969, penance is a sacrament by which sins committed after baptism are forgiven. That's from the catechism. So that's what they believe. And my Catholic friends who might be listening out there, you might not even know some of these beliefs are in your catechism in the church, but there are the confessional, priests, penance, the sacraments, the saints, and Mary, all in one way or another affect the forgiveness of sins according to the church, the Catholic church. So in the confessional, the Catholic confesses sins to a, to a priest, and then the priest is the one who absolves the person and prescribes, here's the, your prescription, go do this, the penance, right? So we have to do something to be forgiven. It doesn't make sense. That's not what the Bible teaches in full. And uh, one more thing, a note I pulled up off uh, some research here. The Roman Catholic Church uh, bases their practice of confession to a priest primarily on tradition, not the Word of God. You can't find it in the Word of God, right? Catholics point to, now here's interesting, they might say John 20, 23. What does that say? If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now we're talking about this subject of authority, which was the first point we made. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. So he is our authority. The word of God is our authority because he says, my words will stand forever. So from that verse, John 20, 23, Catholics claim that God gave the apostles the authority to forgive sins and that authority was passed on to successors of the apostles, i.e. the bishops, the Pope, Peter, they say he's the first Pope, the priests of the Roman Catholic Church. So there are several problems with this. First of all, John 20, 23, nowhere mentions confession of sin. Nowhere mentions confession. It just says, if you forgive, like I know someone who won't forgive their father, well, then their father's not forgiven, right? Because the person chose not to forgive, hold something against their father. But that doesn't mean the father of that person came to the son or daughter and asked for forgiveness. Um, second, John 20, 23, nowhere promises or even hints that apostolic authority of any kind would be passed on to the successors of the apostles. And third, and finally, the apostles never once in the New Testament acted as if they had the authority to forgive anyone's sins. Not once. 
So Catholics point to Matthew 16, 19 and the binding and loosing, which we've talked about when we're going through the Gospel of Matthew um, last year as evidence that the Catholic Church has the authority to forgive sins. No, again, that's taken out of context. And the same three points here apply equally to these scriptures. So uh, you probably have something to add. This is a very important important point because some people say, yeah, why do we need to go to a man, a priest, and why is there still a priesthood? I know that was, I know that was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have a whole lot to add. I don't <laughs> need to add. But as you were reading, it made me think of Hebrews chapter ten, and I just want to read the scripture. Yep. And I would encourage you guys at home just listen to the word of God, what God has to say here. Therefore, brethren, believers, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, Amen. by a new, in a living way which he consecrated for us through the veil mm. that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God that's speaking of Jesus. Jesus, yeah. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful yes. amen and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some but exhorting one another and so much more as we see the day approaching mm. and i love so that we're able to start getting together again i know some of us are not going to be able to but the thing that i see <clears throat> more than anything kind of comes back around to this question one thing I love about being here on location with brothers and sisters yeah. is after service, before service, yeah. there's prayer going on. It's not yeah. like, hey, I got to go find the pastor or a priest. Do you guys have a priest here? Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's just us being with one another, yeah. praying for one another, encouraging one another in the word of God, what we just heard and received. Yeah. That's the blessing of fellowship in being together. And I want to share the last verse of the chapter it says, but we are not those who draw back to perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. Guys, Jesus is faithful to the end. He's given us a new way to live. We're not to go back to the Old Testament, the priesthood. He is it. He is our great high priest. And we have access Amen. anytime we yes. need to boldly come to him. So I encourage you, brother and sister, Okay, go to Jesus. He is the key. He's the only one, which is clearly laid out here in Hebrews throughout the word of God, who can forgive sin. Okay, and we have the privilege to go right to him. That's, I have two more thoughts. Two more thoughts. I, I'm glad you brought that up. He says, come right to the throne. You don't need to stop at the door. You don't need a mediator. You don't need my loyal subjects to bring you with pomp and circumstance before my throne, God's saying. He says, come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. When? When you need it. When you need mercy and grace, go right to the throne. That's an amazing thing from the King of Kings and the creator of all, of all you know, to be able to come right to him. So that's directly to God. That's one thought. The other thought is James chapter 5. And here's where maybe some in the Catholic Church kind of get the idea of a priest. It says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. It's not talking about being forgiven by another Christian brother or sister. It's talking about transparency. It's talking about accountability. Amen. It's talking about vulnerability. It's talking about going to your brothers. You can't do that online. We can do it here at church or your church, wherever you're at, where you're meeting with brothers and sisters to confess your sins, just to lay it all and say, hey, I, I need help. I'm struggling. I've been sinning. They don't forgive you. God forgives you. Jesus, only by his blood you're forgiven. So that's another point I wanted to make because that might be misunderstood when it says confess your sins to one another. That really means we just don't need to be holding them in or hiding them. We need to be open about them so that we can walk in the light as he is in the light with no unconfessed sin. Amen. Amen. Well, 
just on that <laughs> note, my heart's just turning to worship uh, to the Lord that we have this great invitation just to come to him as we are. So at this time, I want to turn it over to Philip and Anne. They're going to lead us once again in worship. And then Pastor Dave and I will be back in a moment to uh, conclude our service. Well, Philip and Anne, thank you again so much. You guys are a blessing to our church family. Um, yeah, we're going to wrap up things this morning here. Uh, I want to throw out, once again, ways to give. You can do that online or you can send in mail. But why is it important for us as Christians to be giving? Uh, Dave, you got any thoughts on that? Absolutely. We do not take government money for one thing. So they cannot tell us that we have to keep our subjects limited. We can talk about marriage. We can talk about the existence of God, creation, gender, one man, one woman, marriage. We can talk about sin, repentance, anything, God's judgment without the government saying, nope, you have to be politically correct or whatever, practice diversity. So that's one important thing. So the church also from the very beginning was funded. I mean, Jesus' ministry, there were a lot of prominent wealthy women that were funding Jesus' ministry. So your local church needs your resources. They're not, we are nonprofit as you know most churches are. Yeah, and we wanna get the gospel out there. <laughs> Absolutely. So I do yeah. thank you guys who do support the ministry here at Freedom Fellowship. We see God doing a lot. Um, and I think that's been really one of the blessings, Pastor David, uh, just in light of what's been going on. We've been throwing a curveball the last few months. Yeah, and it's God, been interesting. And God is bigger than this virus thing. You know, Absolutely. here we are. Hey, we can't gather together in a certain location. Yeah. I'm glad we get to start doing that again next week. But I've seen the church, and especially our brothers and sisters <clears throat> here at Freedom, just living out the gospel in such yeah. beautiful ways. It's been yeah. awesome. And I hear reports from you guys just how you're growing, like in ways you never have before. And I'm really thankful. Here's something that, oh, bummer. We're losing our freedoms and we can't do this and we can't do that. But then God, I love the but gods in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, fear God, not a virus. Amen. Because we have the same purpose and mission. Our calling as Christians never changes. Now, it might change who we minister to and how we minister, but regardless of what's happening, what the government does, we still have to answer to God. We still have to be out there bearing fruit. We were chosen by him and appointed to bear fruit that will last. Amen. Cool. Uh, next slide real quick is on the way of an announcement for our midweek study. We've been cruising through the book of Daniel. We're going to try a chapter a week, every week. And we're going to be taking a look at Nebuchadnezzar this next week. And I'm going to share with you guys the last verse of the chapter. And those who walk in pride, he, speaking of God, is able to put down. And that's what we see with the great king of Babylon. Mm. He has another dream, thinking highly of himself again. And God puts this man down. And there's so much practical application mm. in the study of Daniel. You guys have been following with us. Good stuff. You can visit all those studies on our website at cometofreedom.com. And then next Sunday, we're going to get into Revelation chapter 11. And I would encourage you guys to Whoa. read ahead because we're introduced to a couple of guys that are pretty awesome. What's that about? I know. So you'll want to definitely check that out. I've been enjoying the book of Revelation. Oh, uh, I love it. It is so needed for the body of Christ. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things we are so looking forward to his return. And he is coming soon, guys. That's one thing. We do know, and we want to be ready. Yeah. You know, whether he comes to rapture us and we get to see him face to face, or we got a few more years, you know, let us run well. <laughs> no matter what part we're in right now, let us finish well for his yeah. glory. Revelation is an important book. Um, a lot of people avoid it because of maybe some of the symbolism, and it's prophecy. And you are promised a blessing if you read it. So it's something very important. First chapter in Revelation. It also talks about at the very beginning of verse 8, I believe, Revelation 1, how Jesus, he, it says, who was and is and is to come. Talking about Jesus. So he's past, 
present and future. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one who carries from Genesis to Revelation, carries the Word of God, and it's the story of redemption. Revelation wraps it up. There's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of things that the church is going to have to answer for, but read. don't read into it. Make it something that it's not. Most of what you read in Revelation, you can take at face value and really understand it. So stick with it. This, these are important studies to listen to. Amen. Amen. Cool. Thanks, guys. Well, thank you so much for hanging us uh, with us this morning. Uh, Pastor David, would you mind closing our time of prayer? Not at all. Lord, thank you so much for this time. And uh, just thank you for the questions that people have. Uh, nothing wrong with having questions, Lord. Um, a lot of people had questions in Jesus' day, and he was always uh, compassionate and loving and patient, even when people were ignorant um, and unbelieving. But Father, thank you for this time. We ask your blessings on those who are listening and watching right now. And we pray that you'd strengthen them for this week to come. Yes. We ask in Jesus' name that you'd cover them, spirit, soul, and body. Give them what they need and not necessarily what they want all the time and, and for Landon and myself as well. Uh, give us what we need, Lord. We want to grow in you. Draw us closer to you. Help us to grow in our faith and be the salt and light that we are called to be, that Jesus asked us to be. And help us represent you well. Help us to continue to speak the truth but do it in love. And uh, Lord, help us to understand uh, people in our lives that need a little bit of encouragement and hope and that are feeling down or depressed. Help us be there for them and uh, give each of us the discernment and the leading of the Holy Spirit that we might never miss an opportunity to minister. Oh Lord, mm -hmm. forgive us when we are too busy feeling like we are being interrupted with your will or interrupted with the needs of a brother or sister, or even someone who doesn't know you. So help us be the body of Christ, and uh, prepare us all for meeting together in person next Sunday, mm -hmm. and we ask for good weather in advance. That's a little favor I throw in there, and I uh, just ask your blessings on not only Freedom Fellowship, but all the godly Christian churches who are about sound doctrine and teaching the whole counsel of God across America and around the world. We ask your blessings on them as well, that we might continue to do your work until Jesus returns. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks, guys. Blessings. God bless you, and thanks for listening to today's message. For more information on Freedom Fellowship Church or to hear other teachings, please visit our website, cometofreedom.com, or interact with us at facebook.com slash church.